Welcome everyone to another episode of LambdaCast. My name is David Kuntz and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Johnson. Hello everyone. As always, we want to hear from you. You can email us contact at lambdacast.com. You can find us sort of in person as part of the FP Chat Slack community, which you can sign up for at fpchat.com. And you can leave us a message or a comment at the lambdacast.com site where you can comment on individual episodes. This time we are talking about recursion which is sort of one of those topics that I think pretty frequently comes up in concert with functional programming. It's certainly not, you know, uh, exclusive to functional programming. If you have a comp sci kind of a uh, educational background, you've probably uh, were introduced to recursion, but it, it seems to come up a lot more in the context of functional programming uh, than maybe in your sort of like C, you know, drive languages. Um, I think most people learn about it and then they go, huh, okay and they do the homework assignment, and then they never touch it again. Yeah, that would, uh, that would fairly explain my experience with it. Is, oh, yeah, I remember learning about it, and I think very, very occasionally or never to have actually said, like, oh, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to use recursion here because there are, there are other ways to accomplish the same thing as there are so many of our tasks. And so while I understand the theme of it, it's not necessarily something that I'm using every day or using every week. Right. And I think the one probably notable exception to using recursion in sort of quote unquote normal, you know, everyday programming would be uh, things like tree traversal. If you're working with tree data structures, this comes up a lot in game development. Um, there's a lot of tree like things. Um, uh, recursion often is a very elegant way to traverse a tree. So it does come up there. Um, and when you say tree, uh... God. I, I, I immediately always go to .NET, but there's, the, there's the, a thing called a tree view control, and it, it's kind of like displaying a directory structure. We've got, um, you've got your root, and then you have little, little elements coming off of that, and those are elements. Is that what you mean when you say tree? Yeah, it's sort of like a node that can have, uh, I mean, depending on the kind of tree, it can have other nodes, and then eventually you get out to kind of like leaf nodes, which usually contain your information. Some mm -hmm. trees, you can have information along the way. Some trees, the information's only at the end, at the the edges of the tree mm -hmm. and everything internal is sort of structure. Uh, but yeah, th that's a tree structure, um, which is sort of a, uh, if we were to categorize this, a tree is a graph. It's a directed acyclical graph. So it's a graph that only goes in one direction generally, and uh, it doesn't have cycles. So none of the child uh, nodes point, point back to the parent node. You don't have any uh, like loops in your, in your graph. Got it. No, no child somewhere deep down is also a parent of a root node or something. Exactly. Or um, yeah. yeah, that's the acyclical part. So that's uh, sometimes that's called a DAG. Uh, this is a little off topic, but yeah, a tree structure is definitely something where you probably will run into uh, recursive type algorithms. Well, let's go through. Uh, well, let's go through why we use that then. I'd love to learn okay. about it. Well, first off, let's start out with what recursion is. So, if anyone's not familiar with it, they certainly uh, can follow along because we're probably already lost some people. So, that sounds like a great place to start. Uh, recursion um, is a pretty simple concept. It's a function that, in some part of that function, calls itself. So, it's a, a function that uses itself as part of its execution, which is a little like. Inception-y, a little weird, right? That uh, I've heard it said often that um, the two concepts that sort of uh, programming students have the hardest time with are pointers and recursion. And those are sort of like 
the absolute most opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like concepts. Like one is very mechanical and like internal to the, how the computer works. That'd be a pointer. <laughs> and then recursion is like this very like mathematically abstract thing. So I think it's funny that those. I think that's a, I think that's a fair and good good uh, good word for it though. It is it is kind of inceptiony recursion. This idea that you're inside the function and oh you know what we're gonna call the function again. Right. And that should immediately conjure up this idea of like if you're in the function foo and then you call foo again that's probably going to keep happening right if it happened the first time why wouldn't it happen the second time or the nth time you know and then you get an infinite loop that seems like a very natural occurrence and it's probably fair to say i was just about to, to bring this up um that so in every recursive function you don't call the same function every single time there has to be some kind of conditional execution Yes. And so when you're recursing, when, you, when you're calling a recursive function, it doesn't mean that every single time it goes through, it calls itself again. What it's actually doing is is checking and saying, okay, has this condition been met uh, of some kind? And if it hasn't, then let's call the function again. And if it has, then okay, we're going to leave this this recursive loop and, and go back out the tree. Yeah, and that's the terminal case, the terminal condition for okay. when you stop recursing. So just like you're just like you're saying, you you do that check first. It, that's often the a good first thing to put in when you're writing your recursive function is let's check for the the end condition mm. and then if you're not at the end condition then you do sort of the next thing right usually this is a a sequence of some sort or you're processing a list or something like that i don't mean to get too in depth here but that's interesting because every time i've i so i have written recursive functions every time that i've written them at the end of the function is where i'm and maybe this is um uh, what's the word i'm looking for not necessarily industry standard but I always say, okay, I've done all my work. Am I calling the function again, or am I not calling the function again? As opposed to at the very, very beginning, checking and seeing uh, have, I, have I met the terminal condition or not. Is it uh, just industry standard, or is there an advantage that you know of to, to doing that in the beginning? you have any thoughts on that? So often you don't want to do the work of the body of the recursive function if you're at your terminal case. Like Terminal cases tend to be very simple things. Like if I have an empty list, don't do anything just return mm. like i'm yeah done. and similar to to the to do while structure and sometimes you want to check in the beginning and sometimes you want to check at the end right so a recursive loop uh, uh sorry a recursive uh, uh function if you were to compare that to a traditional imperative looping structure it would be more like a while loop than a do while loop what you're describing is a do while where you're going to do the thing and at the end you're going to check to see if you should go on to the next mm. where recursive functions in my experience tend to have the check at the beginning because you bail out. Um, of course, there's plenty of ways to write it, and you can write it both ways. But yeah. um, often, I find um, that you check at the beginning. And this is especially true in sort of functional first languages, because they usually have this concept of pattern matching, where you can sort of like, well, I mean, we'll get into a whole episode about this. But the, the idea behind pattern matching is that you can express sort of, um, in this situation, do this, and in this other situation, do that. And you don't have to do ifs around them. You sort of declaratively say, if the input that I'm getting is exactly this value, like an empty list or an empty array, mm -hmm. then this is what you do. And if I get anything else, this other case is what you do. And you can have as many cases as you want, of course. And mm -hmm. so that's often, um, because of that facility, you know, capability, you often want to put the condition, write it such that the condition is upfront. So it's kind of like a, a high, the top level thing is like an if, basically. Very interesting. All right, well, cool. I, I think there's more to talk about there. But let's get back to the basics because I didn't mean to get into the No, no, no that's great. Um, but just to be clear, there's no, neither one of those is like 
superior from like a like they both are functional like in not in a functional programming sense but both are capable of expressing any recursive sort of like algorithm yeah. or structure so one's not like um it's not like one works and the other better. one doesn't work they right both exactly work yeah is the, is the That's what simpler word you're looking for yeah. so because we can because recursive function calls itself and thus can create an infinite loop we can then uh produce any sort of looping structure that we would normally have with like a, a for loop or a while loop we can do recursively instead. And you might say, well, that's great, but I have four loops. Why would I want to do something recursively? And there's a couple of properties that um, recursive functions have that are kind of nice. So in a recursive function, you you receive some, some inputs, right? And you're going to um, you're going to do some work with them, and then you're going to potentially call yourself again, right? run like yeah. the next iteration and the next iteration if this is recursive function is ever going to terminate <laughs> that next case kind of has to have uh broadly speaking shrunk what you're working with like if it's if it's an array of things or a list of things that you're processing you probably have consumed one of those things and you're going to pass the rest of the list along and then each time that rest of the list that you're passing gets smaller and smaller until you run mm -hmm. out of list at which point you're done right that that would be a way of doing like a like a for each. Yeah, and I'd say that's I'd say one it's not exactly an exception, but one thing to note is if you're dealing with those trees, sometimes you're kind of unfolding as you go. And you might come across a subnode that has, you know, adds a hundred new elements that you didn't realize you had. But in the big picture, you're still recursively shrinking shrinking through the entire list of every subnode everywhere. Because you're you're very slowly going through Yeah, yeah. I mean and it, and if you said that um if you counted all the nodes fully expanded. Yeah, then, then you are absolutely getting getting that yeah. let list down. And and a, a recursive function that does not have this property of moving uh, towards an ever smaller set of like things that it's operating on is mm -hmm. the kind of recursive function that typically will not terminate. Right? Mm -hmm. It it uh, it because it never runs out of things to do. So it's very easy to write an infinite recursive function, and sometimes those are actually even useful. Isn't isn't in games again? Don't you normally have like a a game logic loop that just is always running? Yes, and and that is in a functional language that is written as an infinite recursive function. That's correct. Okay. Uh, whereas that is written sort of as a um, you have just a main loop within your main function, but it's yeah. just a, a loop with some sort of timeout to wait, so you're not paging the processor, right? Some sort of sleep on yeah, the thread. Yeah, you. Yeah, you, you're running it every x millisecconds, right? Or or whatever, right? So we can produce an infinite loop. We often uh, don't want to do that, and we want to have a terminal case. Um, we are usually iterating over like a collection, or we have some sort of number of times that we're going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. um, for example, if you're finding the factorial of a number or something, right? you're probably going to start at a certain number and go to a certain number. And it, along the way, you're going to be doing calculations. But at some point, you're going to stop. That terminal case has a, when I get to this, I'm done. Yes, that, that's very common in the structure. And uh, so in terms of replacing loops, why we might want to do this is each time we're running our recursive function, we get sort of fresh variables, like uh -huh. your input, like let's say we're doing something really simple and we're summing all the values in a list. Okay, so you have, you know, whatever, one, two, three in a list. Yep. And what you would uh, call that recursive function with is a total and a list. And it's going to give you total. back. Yeah, a total, and I'll explain why. 
So, yeah, no, that's all right. I was going to say so, and kind of what's happening in the, in the some of the lists, uh, if I understand correctly, is we're going to call the function. If we have this list of one, two, three, we're going to call the function and say add one and two, and then take the result of that and add three. Is that no, is that correct? You're close. No, okay. That's why the total's there, because okay. if you added one and two on the first pass, and then added three on the second pass, then each of your passes are not doing the same thing. One pass consumed two elements out of the list. The second pass only consumed one out of the list, which is weird. So okay. you typically you're only going to consume one element out of the list at each step. Oh, interesting. All right. So how does that work? So you have an initial value, zero. All right. And so you take the first thing off the list, the head of the list, or first mm -hmm. or whatever it's called, add it to your uh, sum, which is starts at zero. And then you're okay. going to recursively call yourself with that sum and the rest of the list. So two, three. Sure. Okay. And if you're doing product, then you don't want to you don't want to starting value zero. You're just going to turn it to if you're multiplying. You want to you want to you want a one. Okay. So this is um, often called an identity value for whatever kind yeah. of thing you're dealing with. If you're sort of building up a new list as part of this, it would be like an empty list. You know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's um, the general structure here. Is you have a bunch of things and sort of an initial value, and then you're going to take those things one at a time and combine them. So if this sounds familiar, this is like a reduce, like a fold operation. Mm -hmm. Writing a recursive function in this way is re-implementing reduce, spe specifically for addition or multiplication. So it's, it's a mm -hmm. less general form of reduce. And reduce is definitely um, expressible through a recursive function. Um, you could, uh, sometimes what you'll do is you'll write an outer function that doesn't take the sum. It just takes like the list of values that you want to do your operation on. And then it will, you'll define sort of an inner function that it will call that does the real work. And the outer function is just responsible for passing zero and the list that was passed in to kickstart the inner function, which does, which is the proper recursive function that does the work. Got it. Yeah. That's, uh, I follow you. It's just kind of like a little helper thing. If you're commonly adding lists rather than having all the logic that, that feeds it in there, you just have all the, you have this function a that, uh, has a logic of feeding a list to get the sums, right? Right. Well, I'm I'm talking about specifically like jumpstart, like kickstarting kick the whole cycle with that zero. You mm -hmm. might want to just say, hey, I just want the sum of of this you know collection, this list or whatever. I want to pass mm -hmm. in the collection. Why am I passing in zero? Also, that doesn't make sense to me. Oh, I see. To so yeah. the outer function that just takes the list and in, and turns around and calls another function that's the real recursive function we're talking about yeah. here with the zero. You'll see yeah, that that's, sometimes. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Sure. So. In that way, we can reproduce uh, sort of what you would have done in a for loop by doing it recursively. And so in each of those invocations, we have a variable called like total and list. And if this was a for loop, we would be mutating that total as we went. Yeah, you, you kind of have to, right? Your total plus Yeah, we'd have to, exactly. There would be no other way. Whereas if we're doing it recursively, each time we, um, we apply the function, you know, each sort of invocation of it, we are getting mm -hmm. a new total and that i mean it's called total inside the function but there's basically you know stack frames that are going on here and so there's a bunch of different totals that are all going on and those get summed because what you do is you return your current value the um sorry the head of the list mm -hmm. plus the total plus the rest of the list you know passed into the recursive function yeah, we're kind of getting around this whole idea of constantly updating a variable by 
we, we do at some point have all the different values, but we don't necessarily save them. We're just passing it on as the, as the total, as the, as the next, as the next total. recursive calls total. Right. Yes. Exactly. And so in that way, we never actively mutate a variable and mm -hmm. um, you, you never attempted to like, uh, you can never get any of the errors you would get by miss sort of mutating things around because all you can do is call yourself pass in the new total and the rest of the list. The things you can get wrong there are you can not properly pass in the rest of the list. Like what if you passed in the whole list recursively? Well, you would go forever, right? Because your list would never shrink. Oh, you mean every single time you, okay. Yeah, if you, if you write, yeah. if you do your first implementation and you do it wrong, you might take the sum plus the head passed into, you know, recursively calling yourself, passing in the whole list instead of everything but the first element. You can mess those mm -hmm. kinds of things up, but you're never going to be like, Oops! I uh, you know added I plus equal to total wrong, or or something like that. So yeah. th that right. When we work with sum, it's a little bit harder to harder to mess that up. But with more complicated things, absolutely, it's right. easy. And so recursion gets uh, used a lot in functional programming because it is expressible purely with functions. And since a lot of functional languages are sort of come from this heritage of the lambda calculus, where all you have is functions, it's a way. It's the way the lambda calculus can do all of the things it needs to be Turing complete without having mutation, right? Like you could do looping type structures and whatnot. Um, real quickly, so Turing complete feels like a term I, I want to define. So loosely speaking, it's a, a set of capabilities that are needed to do sort of general computation. And so if you're mm -hmm. Turing complete, you should be able to express a solution to any problem that can be computed by the computers that we have today. Like the modern sort of since it, the 60s, 50s architecture of computers. So it does not mean fully functional and full humans AI. That is not a Turing. Right. Complete. There's a uh, Turing test that has okay. to do with AI, which is completely unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. Turing Great. complete is really, really not a very useful, um, like people say, oh, but the language is Turing complete. And it means like technically you can implement any, a solution to any problem. But it makes no mm -hmm. claims about how practical that is. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, not that I'm very familiar with. It. I don't think we're saying that recursion is especially impractical. Oh no, yeah, recursion is very practical. Um, it, it's very uh, sort of not what you're used to, <laughs> so it's unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make it impractical, uh, generally speaking, in the general case. So recursion gets used a lot because it doesn't. It allows you to do all the kinds of things you normally do with a, a loop without any sort of mutation kind of characteristics. And as a result, because you tend to have like a collection of things and you're gonna sort of pluck one off and do something with it rather than having an index into it, although there is no reason why, so let me give you a different formulation of that sum. Okay. We have, a, we have a, an array and what I pass into you is a sum and a current index and the array. So instead of taking the head element you know, the first element and passing the rest of the mm -hmm. list on, you take the value of the array at the index that's indicated and okay. add it to recursively, you know, calling yourself with the next index, you know, the next index and the, the array. So the array is untouched. The array does not shrink in any way, but that index keeps mm -hmm. going up. And of course your terminal case is, if my index is the length of the list, then I'm just done. Whatever the sum is at that point, I'm done. I got a little lost. So, so why would we do? Why would we be doing this as opposed to add, passing in the actual element? Okay. Um, so why would we do this instead of like passing the rest of the list along? 
or sure or or yeah what scenario are we talking about where we're passing a list and an index what, what, I'm, what i'm getting at is that to be able to efficiently pass the head to take the head of the list and then pass the rest of the list you either mm-hmm. a are making a copy of your array let's, let's say it's an array like a c style array contiguous sure. memory locations yep. So okay. if I were to pass you the rest of the array, and we have a tel- ten element array, I grab the f- you know the value of the first element in the array, mm-hmm. and then I have to make a copy like a like a slice or a subselect or whatever it is in your language of element index one through nine. So I've made a copy okay. and I pass it along, and then that thing has mm-hmm. to make a copy of index two through nine, and then three through nine. You know, and that gets smaller and smaller. Oh, I see. If you're passing the whole list each right. time, yeah, okay. Because you don't have a, a static copy of the entire list that you're working with the, the whole time. Because it's constantly shrinking. Right. You need to shrink it. Because if we always work off the, the first thing in the list, then obviously I can't pass you the same list I was just working with, or you're going to get the same element I just got. Yeah, that list has got to be, yeah. It, it's got to shrink. Right. Yeah. And so that is traditionally how it's expressed in like your Lisps and Haskells and things like that. And so they have okay. to use a data structure in which you can sort of easily take the rest of the list. So they tend to use linked lists as their primary data structure instead of contiguous memory arrays like a C or C++ or Java uh, or, okay. or C Sharp kind of thing, or even Python and Ruby and JavaScript, right? Those are all arrays in the you know contiguous memory sense versus yeah. lists in the like linked list sense. And so- So if you're- I, Oh, no, you good. So you're saying though, if you're if you're if you do have that contiguous memory, then you kind of have a little bit of a shortcut to work with, right? Because you can just move along by passing that index and not have to worry about so the whole list. So I, I would argue that the uh, algorithm's a little less elegant because instead of just saying, "Hey, I got a I got a total and a list," I just grab the first thing off that list to pass the rest of the list along with my yeah. new total, right? Mm-hmm. That's really nice and simple, but if but it is making those copies of the list. You yeah, yeah. About, so, but if you're primary, if you're working with linked lists, though, you can relatively easily do that, right? Okay. It's it's fairly easy to take the head of the list and then like the rest of the list. So that that's not mm-hmm. a big deal. But let's say you're not working with linked lists because I don't know, you know, the memory characteristics of that are not nice, or the access characteristics you don't want that. You want an array. You can still do this kind of thing with a contiguous memory array, which is pretty uncommon to run into in like. Um, in a traditional functional language, you don't use plain arrays very much there. Although I would say in uh, sort of modern FP languages, more modern FP languages that have to interop with existing stuff. So your F sharps, your Elms, your pure scripts that need to talk to JavaScript, your native JavaScript arrays and whatnot, you are often dealing with these like contiguous memory arrays. So I'm just trying to point out that there are, there are ways of doing recursive-like things with sort of traditional data structures that you're used to, you don't have to like throw out all your data structures to make them recursion friendly. Got it. Uh, but it does mean you now have this extra parameter of the the index, and that's the thing you're kind of changing versus the the array. The actual, yeah, actual array. I would not okay. suggest that you make a copy of your array with one less element and pass that along. That would be <laughs> not my suggestion at all. Um, perhaps inefficient. Perhaps inefficient. Yeah. Now, if you're working with the tree structure, whether it's in a traditional imperative language or not, those are automatically like very easy to just like pass the left node or the right node, things like that. Those those work really well. Okay. Um, so often, even you know, like I did a lot with game development, and in games, it's very common to have tree structures. So that that's very yeah. amenable to recursive uh, things. Which is why I'm saying that's where I think people probably, if they've run into recursive stuff, that that would be an area where they would have done that. So we can, from a functional standpoint, we can do all the things we do with looping 
without mutating anything, without rebinding a name to a new value or anything like that. And uh, that's great. So why don't we use recursion more, you know, outside of sort of the, the functional style languages? Well, um, one big problem is that if you're recursively calling yourself a bunch of times, you're going to be acquiring more stack frames. So if anyone's not familiar, every time you call a function, there's this thing called a stack frame that gets set up that basically keeps all of the, it, generally speaking from like a C perspective, it keeps all of your local variables are on that within that stack frame. So there's an area of memory called the stack and it's got all of your local variables live there as well as things like the address in memory to jump back to when you return from the function. So when that function is done and it terminates, where do you go back to to resume your program? It has to get put on there. So if you are recursively calling yourself, you're going to be building up these stack frames. And in most imperative languages, uh, that stack is not super big, um, maybe a couple megabytes in size, although it's often configurable. But it's pretty easy to, you know, if you're going to iterate over a 10,000 element uh, list, you could blow up your stack pretty quick, right? So you, you get a stack overflow. And you get your stack exactly. overflow, which we've yep. all heard of. So uh, stack overflow comes from basically infinitely recursing functions. That's generally where you get your stack overflows from. Right, but you're, you're saying that because of the smaller size of the stack in imperative languages, sometimes you might get that just using these practices. Is that what you're, where we're getting yes. to? Yes, um, well, even in... It doesn't have to be infinite, it can just be it's Yes, they can just be large, exactly. So when you're going to, you know, sum up the things or traverse the things in some way, you kind of have to worry about like, oh, shoot, I don't want to accidentally blow up my stack. And the danger there is it, the likelihood of blowing up your stack is based on the size of the input, and it should not. Like, you, it, you should never be in the situation of, oh, if we have a, if we have a thousand element list, we're fine. But if we have a ten thousand element list, we're screwed. Like that is not a good place right. to be at all, right? And so yeah. that's a problem. That's a very legitimate problem. So any language that's like really serious about sort of um, having recursion as a first class like uh, thing that you can do feature. feature, yeah, exactly. We'll do something like called tail call optimization. And the idea here is that if the last thing you do in your function is to call yourself, then you're never going to return back to that. So let's say invocation one, you go through and you're, you do your stuff and mm -hmm. you decide to call yourself again. So we're now on to invocation two. Well, when invocation two is done, it's not going to return to invocation one, do more work and then be done. Like the last thing you did yeah, was you can you can the, the tail check will will go and look and see and if there's nothing else to be done there right if if your next line is the end of the function yeah, or if it's exactly just if the your next line is the return is the end of the function and so that's your returning it, it, it'll kill it for you again? it'll kill it for you basically it'll kind of garbage collect well not quite um, what like it will that. do is it will turn the function into a while loop behind the scenes oh okay. So it will reuse the same I mean there's a lot of ways to implement this but it effectively it will reuse the same mm -hmm. stack frame. So instead of yeah. growing your stack, you you're constant in in you only use up one. Yeah, basically, basically some of these functional languages. No, it doesn't have to be functional. You could do this in imperative. It sounds like I don't I don't think there's any reason that you that you could. The compiler would have to yeah, do this. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's very true. They they could code it if you know the people that make the imperative languages. And could. there's like there's bytecode instructions for tail calls in .NET, but for whatever reason, like C sharp doesn't use it. So in most languages that like compile to .NET or compile to Java, like uh, Clojure, for example, they have to put in um, workarounds to 
when they recursively call themselves to get around that and effectively turn it into a, a looping kind of a thing. That's This is a whole new topic that I'm all of a sudden very interested in. I didn't know that there were FP languages that could compile .NET. I'd love to talk about that sometime. Yeah, F-sharp. That's one, for sure. Yeah, the, uh, yeah and I think F-sharp yeah. will do it. And you've got closure but... as well on top of .NET. There's a closure implementation there. So, um, Interesting. Yeah, so languages that uh, really want to take recursion seriously have to account for this in some way. Like there are practicalities about how memory is laid out in the computer, and you you would need to be careful of that. So if you're going to go like, man, recursion is the greatest thing ever. I'm going to go into my C Sharp or my Java or my Ruby program, my Python program, do this right away. Just be aware that, I mean, if you, if you know your data structure is always going to be relatively small, a couple thousand elements, you're probably totally fine. Like, I don't think you're going to blow up your stack. But if you're like, hmm, it could be really big, and I can't, like, predict that, well, then right. you probably have to worry about, like, maybe recursion is not the best fit there. Yeah, you may have to just bite the bullet and do a while loop. Yeah, exactly. And say, well, this time I've got to do this because this is the language I'm mm -hmm. using. Yep. Which just happens, you know, happens with any language you choose. That's, that's going to be the case. So. Um, okay, so a little bit, a few more comments here on recursion. Uh, recursion is actually really primitive. Like people will talk about it as if it's this like lofty, highly abstract thing. And in reality, it's the it's the while loop of functional programming. Like it's really not um, sort of nice and abstract. And uh, I, I wouldn't put it towards the very usable side in the same way that like I don't particularly want to write while loops ever. If I'm in a functional language, I want some sort of for in kind of construct. Right, that's mm -hmm. a much nicer thing than a raw while loop. At the same way, I'm very rarely going to write a recursive function. Much more likely, I'm going to use a specialized function. And we talked about these: um, the map filter mm -hmm. reduce, map filter fold. Those are mm -hmm. often implemented recursively, and those are what I'm going to actually use. So recursion is how those can actually work under the scenes without an imperative loop. I think I'm. I think I'm following you completely. You're just saying this is kind of a, a raw, like you said, primitive. There, there are other things that do the same thing for you, but make it a little easier. Well, they um, use specialized things, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've exactly. Like map they're, is they're one a bit more formulation, le less general, less general, but um, easier to reason about, and often more directly mm -hmm. what you want to actually do. Um, you said four in. Just uh, mm -hmm. backing up, backing up a little bit. Is that what's what's four? Oh, um, for each, is yeah, yeah, for, for each in. So, um, okay. yeah, sometimes it's uh, written as for blah in, you know, for some variable name in some collection. Oh yeah, okay. If you're using that, that sequence of link. Okay, so, thanks. Yeah, you, most languages have some construct that's like that, and they don't have to use a raw for loop. I did. Uh, I have been thinking as we were going through here. So it it is primitive, and like you said, you, you prefer to use these more specialized cases. But do you find that? Um, when you do end up using uh, recursive functions, that is a little bit more easily testable because you only have that one function. So in our sum example again, it's it's kind of easy to see. Like, okay, if I take item one and item two, I can test that for whatever values I want to, and I'm, I should always be getting the same values back. Do you find that it's a little easier to test because of uh, because of the way that it works, or not so much? So I think in general, recursive functions tend to be pure. And it's the pure mm -hmm. aspect that makes them easily testable, not the recursive aspect. Okay, that's fair enough. But there, but there is a, you know, it is likely that a recursive function is also pure. It, they are often written that way, and there is a propensity to kind of push you in that direction. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Um, but that I mean, you can write a recursive function that's that's not impure. I mean, that's certainly doable. You could certainly recursively write to a file or something. Absolutely, absolutely. But often, kind of the natural thing, the natural like uh, force <laughs> once you start uh, mm -hmm. ends up you end up with a pure function, and because of that, uh, you end up being uh, pretty easy to test. I have a just a quick question of a scenario that I'm I'm curious of how you kind of handle it in recursion, and I feel like it's just a real um, common thing that probably most uh, most people listening have done. And so, and I think that you'd be you using recursion for this, but maybe there's maybe there's something else you'd be using. So, um, let's say you make you want to display a table of data, any any kind of data. Um, we'll say you uh, want to show all the customers for a certain company, and so you have their name. You, you know, it's just it's just your standard table. It could be on a in C sharp, it could be on a page, it could be anywhere, and um, you have this. You you somehow have your big list of. Um, Objects probably that are each each one's a a customer, and so when you're when you want to put all that out and you know kind of spit out whatever it is your output's going to be, are you using a recursive loop in that scenario or are you using something else? So under the hood, I'm using a recursive loop, but more specifically, I'm probably using fold slash reduce to take all of those. Okay, you're, you're using yeah, which are which are yeah, exactly like I said under the hood. That's that's a recursive it, loop. It can be. It often is. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but usually it is in a recurse, in a functional language. But yeah, that would be a fold, kind of an operation. Okay. You take. I mean, assuming you're going to have like. Can you walk me through like how that would actually happen? So you have. I I know it's very language mm -hmm. specific, but so is there like a master? Because you, you can't. Again, we're not. You're not mutatable. So is there? There's not like a master. Um, table or something that you're writing to because you, you can't mutate. Okay, so let's and, say that you want to take a bunch of individual uh, customer records, like customer information mm -hmm. type records, and you want to produce a um, some uh, composite thing, right? So you're going to yeah, take in my in my mind, we're, we're like let's let's just say a straight HTML, and you're just making a table a table of that customer information. Is that an acceptable? Is that an okay sure, example? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so. I think the uh, table part would not be part of your recursive function. So you have a bigger function, mm -hmm. uh, make customer table. And it's going to be okay. of type list of customers to string or HTML if you have a specific type for, for your HTML. Let's just say string okay. because you're just going to output some HTML. And so it, what it would do is it would say, uh, what it would return is the opening table tag and maybe uh -huh. a TR that says our customers NTR, and then sure, and then sure. it would call recursively a function where it's passing in the list of customers, and that's going to give it back all the TDs, and then it's going to append onto that the and when I say append, I mean like it's thing plus thing plus thing, like header uh -huh. body footer, where we have the end of the table tag kind of thing, and then middle just happens to be a function call that returns a string, a recursive function call. Okay, that whole yeah, hold the middle section, and and yeah, I follow you. The the actual data part would probably include the TRs, but it doesn't matter. I follow what you're saying because the TR. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, you have the header. Sorry, you have the the table one TR that's the header uh, kind of section, and then the middle part is going to be a TR with TDs for every customer. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, and I know I'm, I'm making you yeah. spitball. No, no, here, it's fine. Like something. And so for that, you would but... pass in probably your initial string, which is like an empty string, and your mm -hmm. list of customers. And then you would take the first customer. You would read out the various properties off that. You would concatenate those mm -hmm. all into a big string, 
and then you would return that plus recursively calling yourself with all but the first mm -hmm. customer. Yeah, okay. And, and just, just yeah, you're just looping through and okay, and you're starting with your new and your new TR if you're familiar with HTML, just the table row. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay, for each for each customer. And, and that could all be replaced by a fold, really. Like like if I was really mm -hmm. writing this sort of in like production work code, I would never write that recursively myself. I would just use a fold, the, the built-in fold yeah, function. Because again, like you talked about, for these really common scenarios, there's a specialized function that's going to make it yes. a little easier. And, and we've talked about map filter and fold slash reduce. I keep calling it fold, sorry. It's probably more commonly known as it's reduce. Okay. Um, or aggregate if you're in C-sharp. It makes them listen to our past podcast. It's great. <laughs> that's right. Go back to listen to higher order functions for all the good stuff on that. But... Uh, in those situations, you have sort of your big three, map, filter, fold, but you have tons of little variations on that. Any large uh, functional programming library is going to have, you know, sort of standard library is going to have lots of these little uh, variations on given a collection of things, do something with each element in that collection, whether it's mapping over it or filtering it or, you know, a lot of the the foldy kind of things that aggregate them together in some way. There's often mm -hmm. a, a function called fold map, which does both a mapping operation and then a folding operation in one pass. So instead of mapping all the elements and then folding them together, and then folding you do them. it in yeah. once. And that's, uh, yeah, so that, that's a fairly common optimization to make because you often want to do both of those. And the example there would be, you're going to map by you know selecting elements out of your customer, and then you're going to fold by sort of concatenating them together into strings. You know, you're going to like, you know, template them together. Yeah. And while we're talking about past episodes, one thing that I probably should have covered earlier is um, we've talked a lot about how you're not changing things. And if you're not familiar with why that is, then you can go back and listen to our episode on immutability right. and how, how that works in functional programming language. And recursion is independent from immutability, but it is motivated in many ways. The, the extensive usage of it in functional languages is often motivated by immutability. But yeah, keeping immutability true or keeping it, keeping games working and keeping immutability um, right. constant. And, and that's especially true in languages where immutability is strictly disallowed versus just discouraged. Like in F-sharp, mm -hmm. things are immutable by default, but if you really want to, you can put M-U-T, mute, in front of something, and now it is changeable. Um, right. Versus like in Haskell, there is no escape hatch. You just yeah. can't. Which is both nice okay. and a pain in the butt at the same time, depending on your your situation. Right. Well, yeah, it's another one of situations where you 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 take a little bit of inconvenience in exchange for knowing. Okay, well, I know that no one yes, did this. Yes, certain now. kinds of things are now impossible, and that's a good thing, in many cases. Mm -hmm. Which it, it, you know, in my experience so far, I don't mean to get too far off topic. We're kind of wrapping up here anyway. That feels like a lot of what functional is trying to do is say, well, yeah, it's not that you couldn't necessarily, you know, like mutability isn't necessarily useful, but you can do everything you want to without it. And then all of a sudden, anyone else looking at your code has a much easier time understanding it. And you looking at your own code are going to have an easier time understanding yes. it. You end up spending a little bit more time thinking through how to do things. But as a result, um, you have code that's, you, you do things in a very, very similar way to the way someone else would mm -hmm. do things. And so it, it makes things, we, we use this phrase a lot, a lot easier to reason about. Because of the fact that it it's just not necessarily this big personal decision how you're going to do things. You you kind of get uh, funneled into a, a specific way of solving mm -hmm. your problem. And I would liken this to a lot of things that we do in life where we sort of, uh, we're trading flexibility for 
um, some other desirable property. Like we don't just drive our cars any which way we want to. We all have agreed to voluntarily restrict ourselves and stop when there's a red light and obey traffic signs and not do things that like, like technically there's nothing stopping us from just driving through the intersection. But you have never driven with my father. <laughs> apparently apparently you're, not. You're thinking that this. <laughs> so most of us uh, voluntarily. Yeah, but fair enough. You're exactly right. Yeah, there's this set of rules that we follow them. And, and it, uh, in return, we get a lot, we get a lot of benefit, that, right? Yeah. We have a lot of sort yeah. of, um, we're, not, we're, we're not constantly super, super worried that other people are going to run red lights and swerve into our lanes. So what you're saying, in, in effect, is functional programming is saves lives. It saves lives, yes. Okay, that's that's excellent. That's they, that should really just be the that's pitch. What we learned today. The National Functional Programming Council should just <laughs> right use FP. It, it saves your, save your life. <laughs> so that's pretty much it for recursion. Pretty simple concept. The implications, sort of, as you're sitting there writing code, are much bigger because mostly because you will feel very uncomfortable writing code in that way. You'll say none of the tools that I'm used to work. And this feels wrong and weird and frustrating and humiliating even, right? Where you're like, I'm an experienced programmer. Why can't I sum this list of numbers? You know, that's, that should be a really simple thing. And it's just because it's a very different paradigm. You have never done this before. So, you know, or theoretically, you've never done this before. So why should you be expected to be good at it? Like, that's silly. Like, why, <laughs> are you, do you expect to be good at things instantly that you've never done before in other parts of your life? Like, probably not. <laughs> So, you know, so don't be hard on yourself. Well, we, we have that precedence, though, where, you know, you're switching from uh, uh, Visual Basic to C Sharp. And there's some complications. Uh, sorry, that's I'm dating myself a little bit there. But you're switching from one imperative language to another. Um, and you can you, you can still use a while loop. Like, the, the basic concepts are, are still fairly similar. And you're just kind of learning syntax and formatting. Right. And all of a sudden, now, now you're entering this whole new world where, no, sorry, no, you, you can't. Uh, can't use a like, while loop. Like there is no while loop. Recursion. There's no for loop. Like yeah, that construct doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not like it's not commonly used or it's not best practice. No, that that literally is not there. That thing you learned very very early on in your basic programming computer science classes. No, that that's not that's not there. Right. And so rather than learning, if you're learning, you know, actual languages, rather than learning English and then learning Spanish and French, you're learning English and then you're switching over to to Russian. Right. And oh, there's there's no cognates. There's very little that's going to help. Or Mandarin or something. They don't use the same grammar structure. Yep. I, I can't even pronounce the words. Um, and uh, yeah, so you you have a little bit more of a of an uphill battle. So if it's been complicated for you, like it has been for me, listener, don't don't worry. Yeah, you're not doing anything wrong. This is just you are doing something that is more challenging than and to be expected. It's more challenging than switching between languages that are in the same kind of family. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as always, uh, we love to hear your feedback, uh, good or bad, whatever you think we're doing well, whatever we're not doing well, uh, topics that you want to hear, etc. Shoot us off an email, contact at lambdacast.com. We do read every single one and try to respond to them. And that's about it. So we will see you next time. Thanks for your time, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.